All right, well, I'm going to begin this morning with a little show and tell. Um, this actually is a, uh, a, an item that I, uh, that I was given for my birthday last month. Uh, this is called a bug assault rifle. And uh, obviously not a real firearm. Many people might even consider this a toy, but it's actually more of a tool, uh, one that is lethal for bugs, as the name apply, implies, you know, bug assault, uh, specifically house flies. And, and uh, as the name also implies, that the ammunition that this uses is salt, bug assault rifle. Uh, it's just regular old table salt. Uh, I prefer Morton's myself, but it will take any brand of iodized table salt. Sea salt tends not to work as well because uh, it clumps together, it's bulky, um, and iodized salt is just far more effective. And some of you may be very pleased to know that this is a very humane way to dispatch flies, house flies. Kills them instantly. Turns out table salt is made of microscopic microscopic sodium particles uh, that are very much like crystals. They have sh very sharp edges that when you shoot them, well, I, we, we don't need to go into details. But it kills houseflies instantly, unlike the torturous death they might otherwise experience being devoured by some other animals, such as a frog or a fish, or horror of horrors be caught in a spider web, um, or a Venus flytrap. Uh, <laughs> I'm not sure which would be worse, actually. Nature can be very inhumane, uh, and even plants in the case of the Venus flytrap. So this apparatus right here, the bug assault rifle, is very effective and very humane in getting rid of houseflies, which I'm sure we can all agree is a good thing, right? Yes, it's a good thing. I mean, uh, getting rid of houseflies is a good thing. I, mean, I, I don't know of anybody who actually wants houseflies in their house, um, I think, you know, they carry diseases, they, they uh, carry bacteria and, and, and all, kinds of, all kinds of diseases, which they pass onto you when they land on your food and on your children's food, which is the very reason to come into your house is to get, go after your food. And in fact, the argument could be made that someone who lets flies and other pests into their house and let them crawl over, all over their children's food is not exercising good health practices or good parenting. Right? Pretty much in agreement with that, are we? <laughs> of course, we should always be kind to animals, but that doesn't mean we allow our homes and work environments and the places we share meals together to become sanctuaries for bugs, parasites, rodents, and other disease-ridden uh, animals. And I may be wrong, but as far as I know, no one has yet invented and successfully marketed a device that traps flies and mosquitoes alive so that you can relocate and release them back into the wild, you know? Buzz away, you're free, <laughs> you've been liberated. I, I, I think most rational people would see the, the absurdity in that, despite the fact it could be argued that flies and mosquitoes are two of ti God's tiny creatures, and you should never harm any of God's tiny creatures, supposedly which it turns out is a bit of a conundrum for those who embrace that idea because I hate to break it to all of you, but right now you are, right this very moment you are. Every, every single one of us is, we are all right now as I speak, mercilessly and brutally killing thousands of God's tiny little creatures in our own bodies. 
You are killing germs and bacteria and various species of parasites, multi-cell organisms that if you don't kill them, they're going to kill you. And, and they will not care one whit how much pain and suffering they may cause you in the process of killing you. They are very inhumane. Sometimes these tiny creatures cause indescribable suffering. And the reality is most animals behave this way. Small animals and large animals, animals of all sizes, they don't care at all what kind of pain or suffering they cause other creatures. If you're a threat, or if you are food, or if you sometimes are just in the area, you may very well be attacked and killed without mercy. Most animals are pretty inhumane. But then, of course, we don't expect them to be humane, do we? We don't put bears or wolves or lions on trial for killing another animal or even for killing one of their own. PETA will never launch a campaign to punish animals that are cruel to other animals. Bears routinely kill cubs, bear cubs that they didn't sire, as many other animal species do, not because they intend to eat them, but simply to ensure that their genes are passed on and not the genes of another male. We won't go into detail about some of the horrific things some animals do to other animals. Probably crowding the line as it is for Sunday morning. But the fact is, we don't consider animals to be behaving in an inappropriate manner when they do those things. Even though many animals seem to occasionally kill for sport. They play with their prey, as torturous as it may be for their prey. We just kind of say that's their nature. They're just doing what nature programmed them to do. But we do consider those same things wrong, immoral, unjust when humans do them. Why? Well, there seems to be a bit of confusion in our day as to why. And in fact, I would suggest there is a lot of confusion and a, a kind of confusion that carries with it some enormous consequences for us all, for better or for worse. And, and far more than this simply being a matter of how we treat animals, this is a matter of how we treat one another. We're beginning a new series today simply called Human. And... Um, over the next, uh, can you pull up that first slide, if you would, please? Title slide. There we go. Okay, thank you. Um, and over the next several weeks, we're going to be looking at what it means to be human, particularly from a Christian biblical perspective. Trying to nail down what it means to be human from a secular perspective is a moving target. Uh, in fact, it's a whole bunch of moving targets and perhaps an exercise in futility because there are just countless competing contradictory opinions and ideas about what it means to be a human, which is what happens when you remove God or any kind of faith from the equation. It becomes very subjective, a matter of personal opinion, which, you know, you don't have to, be a, you don't have, to have a doctorate in, in anthropology to see how a growing number of opinions about what it fundamentally means to be a human is bound to result in a commensurate uh, growth in societal chaos. Your ideas about what it means to be a human dictate how you treat other human beings more than any other thing about you. If one person thinks that human beings are a virus or a cancer, as, so, as, as a lot of people do, surprisingly, 
And, and someone else believes that human beings are just highly evolved animals, as probably the majority of people do today. And another pe person thinks that human beings are beings with eternal souls and made in the image and likeness of the creator of the universe. Well, it wouldn't be difficult to predict how each of these people might treat their fellow human beings. They're likely to treat them as they would a virus or as an animal or as an eternal being with an inherent, with inherent value. The prevailing idea being embraced by our culture today in most of the media, in Hollywood, TVs, movies, our educational institutions, even in the realm of politics, is that human beings are merely highly evolved animals, which is an idea that comes from the wide acceptance of the philosophy of naturalism, uh, which, which just counts the possibility of anything spiritual or anything supernatural, any, anything that is outside the observable natural realm. Nothing exists except what can be seen, measured, observed with our five senses. So, so that begs the question, if human beings are merely highly evolved animals, why do we expect them to behave differently than animals? Why do we have moral and ethical standards for people, but not for animals? Or maybe a more accurate question, why do we intuitively know that when a human being behaves a certain way, does certain things, fails to do other certain things, they are behaving in a way that is not in our nature? When we commit murder, when we steal, when we lie, when we cheat to get ahead, when we, when we overindulge our appetites, when, when we sexually abuse another person, we seem to all intuitively know we are not behaving humanely. We are actually being less than human. It's interesting how, you know, when we do something we know we shouldn't have done, we say, you know, I'm only human. I'm only human. And, and it's obviously why we say that, because, you know, human beings make mistakes. But do animals make mistakes? It kind of depends on how you define mistake. I mean, if an animal tries to take down another animal, like, uh, for example, you, you, see, you see this on videos all the time. A, a pride of lions goes after a water buffalo, only to have, as a result, the entire herd of water buffalo come charging and doing some very serious damage to the lion, sometimes even fatally wounding one or two of them. You, you could maybe try to make the argument that what they did was, was a mistake. On the, you know, it's a mistake on the part of the lions to attack a buffalo. Uh, but even though that's what they must do to survive. But see, nobody, nobody thinks animals make moral or ethical mistakes, while virtually everyone knows that human beings make such mistakes all the time, which is why we often say when we do those things, I'm only human. Listen, if human beings are, are just highly evolved animals, then, then, then we're all merely part of the natural order of things doing what our nature dictates. So therefore, things like killing one another, dominating and subjugating one another, stealing from one another, destroying the environment, all those things should just be seen as natural, even if they are destructive. We're merely following our natural instincts like all the other animals. But we intuitively know such behavior is against our nature which is why we punish people for assault and murder and stealing and cheating and perjury and a host of other evils that human beings commit against one another and against nature. Maybe instead of saying in these situations, I'm only human, we should acknowledge that in doing these things, we're actually being less than human. 
We are not living up to the humanity we all intuitively know we were created with. What's interesting, as well as tragic, is the growing sentiment in our culture that you really shouldn't punish people for these kinds of crimes. And it's not just a sentiment, but it's, it's increasingly a reality. And what's behind that reality is this idea that people really shouldn't be held responsible for their actions. They shouldn't be punished because, well, who can blame them? You know, they're, they're just doing what is natural for them. They are merely the product of their environment and their genetics, and they are just doing what, you know, what their instincts tell them. They are just animals. We're all just animals. These are literally the arguments being made in intellectual and academic and political circles today. Professing to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and of four-footed animals and crawling creatures. This is what naturally follows when you embrace the idea that human beings are simply animals. We intuitively know better, don't we? There's something hardwired into us that tells us we were made for something more, something better. And we can choose, if we want to, something better. Or we can choose to live like animals and consequently end up treating each other like animals. See, the truth is, reality is, human beings are not just animals. We are more than animals. We are above the animals, superior to the animals, though most people remain fuzzy as to how and why. Listen, I have really, really good news for you today. This is the best news ever. Are you ready for it? Here it is. You are not merely an animal. You are not merely a creature of instinct, one that has no choice but to obey its appetites, impulses, and instincts. You are far, far more powerful in fundamental, integral ways, more important, more significant, more valuable, with more dignity and more worth, with far greater potential and, and a far greater destiny than any animal. Because you are a human being, you have incalculable value. But before we unpack that, Let's talk for a minute about some of the fundamental differences between human beings and other living creatures. And I understand that this can be a little sensitive for some of us. This is, a, this is a touchy topic for some of us, especially for those of us who love animals. And of course, by loving animals, I mean the cute ones, right? Puppies, kittens, rabbits, baby deer, as opposed to snakes and bats and centipedes, slugs, and certain species of fish. Uh, there, there may be some animal lovers out there who love these animals. I just don't know of any of them. See, I'm already wading into dangerous water here. But, and let me just underscore, okay? You should never be cruel to animals, no matter how uncute they are. I mean, you just should never be cruel, period. 
And that includes cruelty, cruelty to any kind and all kinds of animal. I may want to torture that mosquito that left a huge itchy welt on my ankle that's been bothering me for over a week now, but that would be beneath the dignity I was created with as a human being. We should just never be cruel. But there are many fundamental differences between animals and humans, and these fundamental differences are not just differences in degree, but in kind. See, a lot of people think that the differences between animals and humans is just simply a matter of degree, that humans are more intelligent, that they are more advanced uh, socially and, and have, you know, with their social skills, that they uh, are more advanced linguistically. But zoologists, anthropologists, biologists, and other scientists are are discovering more and more that human beings have qualities, characteristics, traits, and abilities that are fundamentally different from the animals, and that set human beings apart from all the other animals, not just by degree, but by kind. It's not just that humans are more developed and further along in several areas, but that they have abilities and traits that are completely unique to them and completely non-existent in other animals. Let's just look at some of those. For example, uh, um, abstract reasoning. Only humans have the capacity to develop propositions, formulate arguments, draw inferences, recognize universal principles, and value logical coherence and truth. Animals have no ability to do any of that. Only humans can reflect and ask why. They can ask why. Uh, only humans can ponder things like purpose and meaning and wonder why they exist. Only humans can think about their thinking, study and analyze their thoughts and challenge their thoughts, question whether their thinking is accurate or distorted, and change their thinking. Human beings can change their thinking. Only humans can ruminate on the past and imagine the future. See, a lot of animals are conscious of time. In fact, some are far more conscious of time than human beings. Migratory animals are amazingly attuned to the changes of seasons, but only humans can study the past recognize the present, and imagine and anticipate the future. Human beings alone have the capacity to conceptualize truth and pursue it. Developing philosophy and science and mathematics, logic, the arts, only humans appreciate aesthetic beauty. And only humans have, the, have an inherently spiritual nature. Virtually all human beings since the beginning of recorded history have had deep-seated religious belief and have engaged in sophisticated religious practices. The pursuit of God or, or the transcendental has been the, a defining char characteristic of mankind since the beginning. Even atheists... And skeptics pursue, the question, pursue questions of ultimate meaning and purpose, something unique only to human beings. And only be human beings are conscious of possessing a unique identity. Only human beings are self-aware. There are those who debate this, that issue, arguing that an animal recognizing itself in the mirror constitutes self-awareness. But the jury is out on that. Literally, a robot can be programmed to do the same thing, yet a robot does not have consciousness. A robot is not self-aware. Yeah, we all saw the movie. It was a wonderful piece of fiction, okay? Uh, machines are not self-aware. Now, I know some of us, and, and perhaps most of us to a degree, want to push back on some of these things. Animals are too self-aware. 
they, they are too conscious of their existence. They can ponder things and think abstractly. You should see the, the picture my cat drew with her tail. You, you should hear the tunes my dog pounds out on the piano and sings along to. I, I know, I know. Our pets are so talented, aren't they? They're, some of them are just truly amazing and wonderful people. Um, no, they're not people. They're not, they're not even... Even though... They're not people. Even though, for some reason, we all want them to be... And we often tend to project human qualities and characteristics onto them. Uh, one of the more common questions I get asked as a pastor uh, is whether or not I believe animals have souls. And most often I'm, I'm asked that question when someone has lost their pet. And many of us know what it's like to lose a pet that's been part of the family for years and years. Our, our pets do, truly do become part of the family. And when they die, it's traumatic. You love your pets. I, I speak from firsthand experience. We love our pets, and we hope that one day we will be reunited with them as we will the rest of our family one day in heaven. I'm not going to tackle the question of whether or not animals have souls in this message, but I'll just tell you this. The Bible does reference animals in heaven. Okay? That's all I'm going to say on that subject. Uh, but I remember the first time I cried at a movie. Uh, I was maybe four or five years old, and my mom, mom and dad took us to see Bambi, and I sobbed. <laughs> uh, I, uh, even days later, when I would remember that movie, I'd start crying. I'm getting choked up right now just thinking about Bambi. Uh, but, but, here, but here's the deal. Let's be real. Had Disney not done such a superb job with the anthropomorphic aspect of that movie, it just would not have had the emotional impact on any of us that it did. Y'all get that, right? Had Disney not done such an amazing job bestowing human characteristics upon dumb, unthinking animals, you know, mule deer, skunks, rabbits, it just would not have had the emotional impact. They brilliantly manipulate through storytelling and animation and, and just just tremendous creativity. They brilliantly manipulated our imaginations and emotions, didn't they? Bambi and Thumper with their cute little children's voices, close intimate friends playing like children with the birds all looking on with, with big smiles on their beaks, um, singing in perfect three-part harmony, things no animal can do in real life. And in fact, <laughs> If you think about it, Disney did an incredible job of making the animals appear human and making the humans appear like animals. Sorry if I just ruined that movie for you. Um, but it does make you think, why do we do that? Why does it seem that many people want to insist that human beings are nothing more than, than highly evolved animals while at the same time, many of those same people want to bestow human traits and characteristics and even human rights upon animals. You know, we should all really think deeply about that question. Hopefully this series will address, at least it's the intention of this series to address that question and many others pertaining to our humanity. But here's what the book of Genesis says about our humanity, what it means to be human. And whether you believe the Genesis narrative is a historical fact or merely symbolic, the truth and insight it contains about human nature, 
about human potential, about the human condition, is profound and powerful. And something which, when we stray from these truths and insights, historically, humanity unravels, falls apart, and disintegrates into evil and chaos. We won't read the whole Genesis creation narrative for the sake of time, but I encourage you to read it on your own. And let me just summarize. Okay, Genesis chapter 1, God created the universe by speaking things into existence. Let there be light, and there was light, and he saw that it was good. He always says that. He saw that it was good. Let there be sky, and there was sky. And each time he created something, God says, and he saw that it was good. He creates the land, the sea. He creates the the plants, vegetation. Then he creates living creatures, animals. And each time... God saw that it was good. And then picking up at uh, uh, verse 26 of Genesis 1, it says this, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image and in our likeness. See, he created everything else. But this is the first time he created something that is in his own image and likeness. Let us create mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule. And we hear that word rule, and for many of us, things like oppression, abuse of power, corruption immediately come to mind. But in the beginning, it was not so. Sin had not yet entered the world. So in paradise, to rule meant to care for, to manage, to have responsibility over, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground, which means he made mankind unique and very special and gave them unique and very special qualities, traits, abilities that animal, he did not give to animals. Then the writer of Genesis repeats, so God created mankind in his own image, in the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So of all the things God created, human beings and only human beings are created in God's own image and likeness. In traditional Christian circles, it's called the Imago Dei, which is Latin for image of God. What does it mean that we are created in the Imago Dei, created in God's image and likeness. But what is God like as he's been revealed to us? He's creative. He has the power and ability to create. He chooses to act. So he has volition. He has free will. He acts with purpose. His actions have meaning. He reflects on what he created and finds it good. He has consciousness. See, these are all things, among many others, he has bestowed on human beings, but not on animals. Creative ability, free will, which is the ability to make choices and not merely to follow our base instincts and impulses. We can act, we can act against our natural animal impulses in order to create a better life and a better world. We have that ability, that power. We can reflect on our choices and make different ones if we wish. We can discern when something is good and when it is not. And we are intimately conscious of all these things. But maybe most significant is the reality that being made in God's image and likeness, possessing the Imago Dei, means what he has given us, imparted to us, is something of himself. 
which gives human beings tremendous intrinsic value, far greater than any of the animals or anything else in all creation. When God created humans, he wasn't creating pets for his aquarium or animals for his zoo. He was doing something far, far more significant. He was creating beings destined to become his sons and daughters, his children. Just like children carry the image and likeness of their father and mother, we were created to carry God's own image, his imago Dei which is why in creating humans he gave us traits, attributes, abilities, characteristics he did not give the animals, including and perhaps especially the ability to know him, to know that he exists, and to relate to him, to be in relationship with him. But many people in our culture protest, oh, you, 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 you have a way overrated opinion of, the, of, of humanity, of human beings. You, you make, make them sound like almost godlike. The reality is human beings are disgusting. You hear this more and more all the time. They are a virus. They are a cancer in the universe, worse than animals. And there is certainly a lot of evidence in this world that might appear to support that perspective. As the generous narrative continues, it describes how mankind used their God-given free will to rebel against God and his created design and order. And this opened the door to sin and disease, corruption, chaos, and ultimately, death. Paradise was lost, at least for a time. And that time is the time we live in today. See, at a time where, where human beings have tremendous capacity and potential for goodness, nobility, dignity, glory, grandeur, far, far above any of the animals. And you see that potential everywhere you look today, don't you? The creative, and no, no, the creative and noble capacity for goodness and virtue in human beings, particularly when they embrace the Imago Dei, the, the image of the all-loving, creative, gracious, benevolent God. But also, but also, at the same time, human beings have a tremendous capacity and potential for evil and cruelty and immorality and dishonor and degeneracy, deceit, wickedness. And you can see that also everywhere you look, don't you? Particularly when men reject the Imago Dei, reject God's image and likeness, and instead reduce ourselves to pure animal nature. And as a result, we become far, far worse than any of the other animals. Destructive to the world, destructive to nature, to our planet, and to one another, to ourselves. You see, a being created with incredibly powerful traits, attributes, characteristics that human beings were created with, when divorced from the Imago Dei, become a hideous and horrifically destructive creature. But even then, even then, we are still made in his image and likeness and therefore still have intrinsic value. But that image and likeness has been marred and corrupted. The value's still there. It's still there. It's just far more difficult to see. It's, it's kind of like this. I had one of the kids. Uh, this, is, this is from Brinley, Walt, Walter. And uh, she drew this for me. This is a picture of me. Uh, you can't really see it that well. But we're going to put a picture of this. She drew that for me. So this is, uh, I asked her to draw this, actually. And um, so this is, this is me. Let's just say that this, suppose this picture is an image of me as God created me to be. 
This is what I was created to look like from the beginning, and it's an image that was inspired by and created by God himself. This is a perfect me, the me that God had in mind when he thought me up. You might have to use your imagination just a little bit, but let's just go with that. Let's just say this is, this is what God had in mind when he created me. When I made the choice to reject God and rebel against him and his order and his purpose and design, this image and likeness of, of God in me was distorted and corrupted and marred and deformed and severely damaged. This is what sin does to us. It destroys the image of God. It destroys the Imago Dei. Now, the image is still there, but you just can't see it very well. The, the value is still there, but in order to recognize the value, I have to go through a process of restoration. I have to see that image unfolded back to its original state. See, this is what God is up to in each one of our lives. And this is what God calls each of us to do as well. We are to partner with him in restoring his image in each other. R rather than seeing and pointing out, you know, how crumpled up you are and, and, and how distorted you are, God calls us to partner with him in focusing on and shining a light on and highlighting and restoring his image in each other. The Apostle Paul calls it being agents of restoration. We are all his agents of restoration. We are called by God to recognize and, and do all we can to restore his image in one another and his unique image because we all have something unique about the character and nature of God inside of us. Just, you will never lock eyes with another human being that is completely devoid of God's image and likeness and, and therefore is of no value. Remember that. Everybody you encounter, everybody you lock eyes with is a being of an unimaginable worth, of, in, of, of incredible intrinsic value that carries something of the nature of God. No matter how much they're crumpled up, it's in there. You just can't see it. And we, we often get discouraged and, and see this process as hopeless. We, we feel hopeless about other people. We feel hopeless about the human race. And we, we are tempted to embrace the idea that human beings are just innately horrible, hideous, irredeemable creatures, a cancer and a virus. We may even sometimes feel that way about ourselves, if we're honest, that we're irredeemable, that we really have no value, no worth, that we're hopeless. But if you take nothing else home with you today, Take this. You are a unique and special being created in the image and likeness of God, a completely unique expression of his love and his creativity and his goodness. And God is lovingly, graciously committed to restoring his beautiful and glorious image in you if you will let him. Even in your crumpled up, deformed state, God says you are still valuable, infinitely valuable. I'm going to invite the worship team to come back. Let me just give you one more illustration, but I need a, a volunteer. Is anybody out there, just hop up here real quick. If you, uh, I'll, I'll make it worth your while. If you'd like, to, if you come help me with an illustration. No, Jordan, you can't do this. Sit down. <laughs> All right, okay. Oh you're, oh, you're going up to, for, for not to, okay. Who's going to be my volunteer? Come on, quickly. Okay, come on up. 
You're all going to wish you had come up. Because I have in my pocket here. Um, uh, this, this is a $100 bill. No, I'll, I'll come, I'll come. I actually tried really hard to find a 50, and I couldn't. And so I, it's a $100 bill it is. All right, this is a $100 bill. Check, make sure that's a real $100 bill. Is that a real $100 bill? Yes. Okay, it is. And, and so this, is, this has value, it has worth, right? Yes. Yeah, but how about now? <laughs> I crumbled it all up. It's still value to me. It still has value? Yes. Uh, how about now? still has value. You want it? Yeah. I just stepped all over it. That's okay. I crumpled it up. She's good at ironing. She says she can iron it straight. Okay, so, so why do you still want it even though it's horribly damaged, marred? I, I've just crumpled it up. I, I've stepped on it, but you still want it. Why? It still has its value and worth. It still has its value and worth. And just for that, you get to take this with you. Thank you for volunteering. Yeah. <laughs> I hope you all remember that. Not to volunteer next time you're called on. <laughs> but that you have intrinsic value. And even though you've been stepped on, and even though you've made mistakes, and even though you've sinned, and, and his, God's image in you has been marred, so that you can hardly even see what it is. Somebody passing on the street, seeing a crumpled up green thing, probably would not know that that's a $100 bill. And would most people would walk right past but still you have that value in you. And if you will submit yourself to God, God can unfold that image, the Imago Dei. He can unfold the image in you. You still have worth. So, dear Heavenly Father, as we continue in this series, Human, help us, first of all, first and foremost, to understand and truly grasp this idea that being made in your image by possessing the Imago Dei we have incredible value, value that perhaps we are not even able to wrap our minds up around this side of eternity, that you have destined us not just for this life, but for an eternity that who knows what awaits us, who knows what glories you have prepared for us, lovingly prepared for us. God, help us to live with, the, with that understanding and that realization and help us to to grow in that understanding, Lord. And we thank you that you do love us so much. Jesus, you came, paid the ultimate price, your life on the cross, so that we can be in relationship with you. In Jesus' name, amen.